to another episode of Grimdark Tales podcast edition. Uh, today I'm joined again by the awesome Noel. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> um, and uh, I'm very excited to have him on again. Uh, I apologize in advance, uh, anyone listening, if my voice sounds completely shredded or, or weird or anything. Uh, I was out really late last night playing a, a gig, so um, you'll have to forgive me sounding like i don't know what i sound like probably something uh frog-like i would assume no but, just um, more awesome <laughs> oh okay yeah just <laughs> yeah sound more rock and roll than ever yeah, yeah exactly. i know you guys like it um <laughs> okay so uh <laughs> so we thought today we would do a follow-up to the last episode that uh, noel and i did together which was uh an episode about the um our legions our favorite legions and chapters uh and we figured we would split this this conversation into two episodes because this is a massive topic um and we started with the loyalists because we thought well we have to start somewhere but um now we have moved on to the traitor legions which uh arguably might be a little more interesting a little more edgy that's for sure um And uh, we're going to talk about just what we find interesting about them, some of our favorites, uh, if we have any qualms or issues with any of them. Definitely, uh, there will be plenty of room for us to talk about that stuff as well. So I figure let's just uh, let's just get right into it. And yeah. uh, I'll, I'll pass it off to you, Noel, for the, for the first one. But uh, which one of the legions that you find interesting? Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's like trying to rack my brain, like which is my favorite, and it's 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 like a yeah, I, I can't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's all the fun legions. They're all they're all the ones. Uh, they just have so much more flavor. Yeah. Um. So, I, but I, oh, it's tricky. I think t- today my favorites. <laughs> I think is the best way to start this off. Yeah. Uh, um I'd say it's probably the Death Guard. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um it's uh I mean obviously, you know, the look and uh, how they are on the tabletop now with the, you know, the fairly recent um update with them and kind of all the new sculpts. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a it's it's just a legion with a lot of flavor. Uh, yeah. And it is one of those where it's um it's it's just yeah it's just so rewarding and it's kind of um it's, the death guard have just got an interesting backstory to them mm-hmm. i mean the mortarian kind of um, on barbarous uh, and the fact that unlike lots of um of the primarchs when they landed on their um you know their, their home planets as they were um their home worlds and um when they kind of you know just eventually kind of like took over like mortarian's journey on that was um vastly different because technically he was taken in by the bad guys yeah um, from the straight from the off um from this kind of xenos um evil overlord um that just basically really did just kind of experimented and did lots of evil stuff to the the populace on barbarous so 
this this whole poisonous world and the fact that um it, just that whole upbringing of kind of you know he was uh constantly tested told he's not good enough and it's just like he's just became very bitter soul very very early kind of very resentful just also kind of this jealousy that he kind of like he has uh, I, I just think that's um like i say a great story and again it's something you've got to come to because uh you know, I mean, which book are you on now with the Horus Heresy? Oh, um, I just finished Nemesis. So I think the next book is about Lorgar. I think it's um, the first yeah. traitor or first heretic or whatever. But, yeah, yeah. First heretic. Awesome book. And yeah. It was Nemesis. But yeah, the most recent one they released, The Buried Dagger. It's um, If you want to read about um, like almost like the origins of the Death Guard. Um, yeah. That, just such an amazing book because it really delves into kind of you know how he turned turned himself around essentially uh, kind of you know his first meeting with Typhus who was then kind of Callus Typhon and just 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 everything um, it's a, yeah amazing read awesome. but um, but yeah no I think for, I think for yeah favorite today it's definitely that it's also just um, even now in for the forty k universe there's just so many. Um, cool uh characters involved yes. i mean you've got the um the kind of mutual hatred um but respect that kind of typhus and mortarian have against each other which yeah some kind of you know it's just like he's the errant typhus is the errant son that just does what he wants but because <laughs> kind of you know nurgle's all about kind of looking after his own and you know all the nurgle demons are quite happy and kind of yes. you know wallowing in their own field so it's kind of you know <laughs> they kind of just leave each other be and kind of just make subtle digs to each other all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but yeah i mean there's another um, um recent book as well which um i just thought amazing it was an amazing read again called the lords of silence and again that just goes into this kind of breakaway faction when um, the Cicatrix Maledictum kind of like spills out into the universe and um, Mortarian's kind of doing this, you know, beginning his huge raid and this kind of, uh, this this band of uh, Death Guard uh, yeah. get kind of like thrown aside and kind of lost. Again, just the, just, just the play in between how the Death Guard are that kind of, you know, they're almost a bit more, the chaos, they're kind of a, a bit more friendly with each other. Really. They're kind of like, there's definitely kind of, you know, general malice and hatred and kind of, you know, backstabbing and everything mm-hmm. in each other, but kind of, you know, in amongst it all, they still actually feel like a legion, not kind right. of, you know, say like, uh, for example, how you'd imagine the World Eaters where there's like constant infighting because it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, they're rage monsters. Yeah. Or, um, you know, the arrogance to say like the Emperor's children where right, right. The, the arrogance gets in the way and, you know, it's so they, there's, there's constant um, rivalry that, you right. know, it's just, keeps them split apart or even kind of say kind of um with the thousand sons with their you know scheming and changing backstabbing kind of thing they do there's kind of less of it they feel more of the, more as a legion and um it's kind of one of those even um after the heresy bring it to 40k they actually do still feel pretty much um apart from a few war bands as a legion um yeah. they're probably one of the few that actually do that and i think that's kind of just cool really no it is it is really cool and um Something that I think is really interesting about the Death Guard and really, I guess, Mortarian's past is uh, the nature of Barbarous, I think, is really interesting. The way that it seemingly there was this sort of choking poison that seemed to get worse the higher the altitude and, mm. you know, the low tier elements of society, the, the sort of slave labor elements of people lived 
at in these like pits where the poison smoke wouldn't drift to it and it seemed like the higher you went the denser it got the more deadly it was so yeah it was almost like there was this physical manifestation of hierarchy on the planet and it was it was really uh it deeply affected mortarian because he you know it seemed like the higher he climbed to sort of break from his oppressors and destroy their system of oppression because mm-hmm. basically he was raised by like a mad scientist is what it feels like yeah um, yeah it was um i think the strongest of the overlords basically right uh, there was more than one of them and they kind of scattered around and all of them basically um sent kind of these mad experiments down onto the populace to basically raid them um, right. and harass them and kind of basically also drag them up for fresh um fresh meat to experiment on as well yeah. um so they yeah. were they were preyed upon all the time yeah and you have you know mortarian basically went on this rampage to try to to take down his adoptive father and in his final moment you know he wasn't he wasn't strong enough to overcome the poisons and he was uh permanently damaged basically by how much he forced himself to endure during Mm. that you know campaign to topple this tyrant and that's why he wore that like respirator and stuff um but the emperor again and this is another i mean we haven't talked about uh, Angron yet in this episode, but the the emperor did that thing that he has done, and he yeah. uh, intervened in the last moment, and he stole that catharsis from Mortarian by killing the tyrant himself. Yeah. And you know, it's clear that Mortarian never got away from that. Um, he never got over it, and yeah. it's really defined who he is as a person because he was so emotionally messed with by his adoptive father and then the emperor sort of just replaced that with a different kind of dysfunction and that moment was just the the beginning of those feelings and he never he was just never able to get over that it's the only parenting Mm -hmm. quote-unquote that he's ever been familiar with and i think you know that's that's part of what makes him so uh disturbed and just so bitter yeah. And not to mention, you know, that Barbarous is just such a cruel planet, you know, masked in this poison. And I really like that whole, like I said, the the f- sort of physical manifestation of like the poison getting worse the higher you get. You can see how that would ingrain the idea of like power being a corrupting agent. And not only, you know, has Mortarian always hated the Psyker um, mm-hmm. because his adoptive father was you know, made such extensive use of psychic power, but he also, I think, I would assume, like, was endowed with this incredible hatred of power and this constant need to resist oppression and, you know, break free from the shackles of control because his planet was literally creating a system of control just in its environment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, with the um, with the overlords themselves, I mean, um, how he how he feels about psychers. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because I mean, now that he's a demon prince, it's essentially <laughs> yeah. hypocritical. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because he still hates psychers despite being one, but he kind mm-hmm. of you know, 
shrouded over with this kind of, you know, numerology and, you know, all, all these mechanisms that he kind of imbues with warp stuff and kind of, you know, but it's, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not magic. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, the kind of, you know, I think the seed of why he hates psychers so much was actually um, because of the overlords that basically kind of took him in. Because yeah, they because they were, I'm trying to keep this as non-spoilery as possible, but there's no <laughs> way of doing it. Um, it's a little thing, but basically um, the overlords were um, essentially psychers to a degree, um, yeah. bit, you know, um, from Xenos. So it's not kind of the same aspect, but they were basically essentially in with Nurgle already, hence the kind of poisons um, that spills out of their, um, you know, their kind of mounting keeps and, you know, just the experimentations they did. It's all kind of leading down towards kind of, you know, what Nurgle do anyway, kind of, you yes. know, all these kind of, you know, diseases and plagues. Um, so it's kind of what it's kind of what they've done. So again, it's quite nice that it's like Mortarians kind of fought it because he hated, he hated just the evilness of it. But kind of he's come round and essentially it's kind of one of those he's become the monster now yes uh, yeah. that kind of you know he sought to destroy which i find brilliant the fact that a lot of the um a lot of the demon primarchs and the evil guys they, they have that element of it they basically they, they've become the thing they sought to stamp out <laughs> yes exactly and and that's that's the the horrible power of chaos you know is that mm. it's so often it, it, there's such sadism to it. It, it doesn't just make mm. you evil or, or turn you into it. It specifically seems to trigger that within you, which you despise. And it, and mm. it really just gloms onto that. And then you become the thing mm. that you have always hated. And, and Mortarian, absolutely. I mean, he's yeah. this powerful psyker and, mm. and he doesn't, he hates psychers. It's a, yeah. And actually, his sort of like tribalism and numerology and stuff reminds me a bit of the way the space wolves uh, mm -hmm. justify their psychic stuff. You know, they they seem to abhor the witch in general, but they have rune priests, and they they seem to separate it. You know, they they intellectualize it themselves. I think with some cognitive dissonance, but yeah, it's kind of the same with the white scars as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with their with with their, with their storm seers, kind of, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's not really the warp. It's fine. It's kind of like a big guy in another nature. It's like it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Look over there. Something. Else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is like that. Yeah, it's really yeah. it's really interesting. Um, and I I think Mortarian is such an interesting character too because, hmm. uh, for how strong he is and I mean, you know physically as well as like he has this incredible endurance, um, and his physiology is so is so massive even among like the primarchs he's particularly sort of hardy um mm. and his his legion certainly is too because he prided himself on that particular mm. trait was that incredible stoicism they were, he was such an incredible his legion was such an incredible like mm. frontline um attrition fighting sort of group they they basically would never get out sieged you know um and even back on Barbarus, it's kind of like it stems like from all the way back then, um, mm -hmm. which is um, you know when he basically got the um, the tribes of man kind of like together to fight against the overlords because it yeah. was essentially just him and because of the way of um, Barbarus's nature, um, most humans were emaciated, malnourished, weak because um, there's so much plague and everything. Yep. So um, you know, it's it's kind of one of those he he. It, 
like that melting pot for his upbringing kind of really cemented everything about him yeah um, you know even like say so kind of like when he was um fighting against the overlords again like you know that attrition and knowing he, he was different um he yeah. kind of suspected kind of you know certain things but uh really kind of you know he come to rely on that resilience and mm -hmm. kind of really instilled that in all the people when he was trying to throw off the yoke of the overlords essentially before the emperor came Right. Uh, and because of his upbringing with the overlords there's that much hate towards them um even before he kind of you know essentially joins with man, man it's kind of there's this there was this hatred towards his father figure and uh, when um the emperor did essentially come down it was literally towards the last battle and yes. i'm going to refer to the buried dagger and it, <laughs> it, it, it basically goes into it a little bit further um which mm. is they did come down beforehand, before the final battle. And essentially, um, in order to get um, Mortarian, because he, he was just like having none of it, um, mm -hmm. everyone, all the humans and even Tyfe was kind of like wary, but it kind of, you know, it was just like almost bowing down to the emperor, kind of just going like, you know, oh, okay, you know, sold on whatever you're saying. But right. even then, Mortarian was just like, I don't trust you. So. Yeah. The only way that the emperor really got round to it, and this kind of is again the twist in the knife, really, that the emperor did um, for his own needs. But in order to um, in order to essentially secure his allegiance, basically he said, kind of, you know, fine, you know, I mean, this is your final battle. I'll leave you to it. If you if you can go up there and kill kill that overlord, last overlord off, you know, completely open out whatever i will give you anything you want to basically make your planet your own i will leave you to it and you can do whatever you want mm -hmm. if you fail then you bow the knee to me <laughs> right and it is one of those it's kind of like um because he fought so long and hard for it to have that snatched away from you and yeah. you know just before he was passing out saw that the emperor basically just went yeah he's not going to do it and then just took it away yeah. that that kind of like bitterness and vengeance that he kind of you know he's always here just basically almost transposed onto onto the emperor yeah uh, but i mean you know he you know you could argue that the emperor did do a bit of a dick move <laughs> oh yeah i mean i think i think it's easy to argue that so many of the traitor legions come from the emperor's mistakes um that you know the heresy was sort of as much as it was a result of the ruinous powers sort of manipulating things behind the scenes and, you know, Horus being wounded by a chaos blade and Lorgar preaching the word and all this stuff. I think the emperor is so responsible for so much of it. Um, and mm -hmm. it's actions like that, that really solidify that to me. And actually this is a good segue into I'll, I'll bring up my first sort of favorite Legion. Yeah. Um, which is the world eaters. Um, so oh. yeah, the world eaters, obviously they're a bunch of angry boys. Um, they, <laughs> <laughs> they, they're, you know, like you said, they're rage monsters and, uh, Angron is sort of just the, the ragiest of them all. And Angron's frustrations, I think are very justified because the emperor really screwed him over. Um, uh, yeah. upon his attempt to you know induct him into the imperium and to lead his men so we have a situation again where angron didn't grow up in the best conditions on his planet he was basically 
as a, as a child, he was taken mm. and forced into fight into these sort of gladiatorial arenas. And this planet has this really horrible uh, th- practice of implanting what came to be called the butcher's nails. So Angron was essentially his brain was permanently damaged and a part of his brain was replaced with this device this from i think like pre uh imperium times this really old tech um and uh it basically made it so that he gets off on being violent and it promotes violent activity uh it sort of makes it so that the only thing he can do ever to uh feel pleasure or not feel pain is to just cause violence yeah um, it's like the only release he gets basically from the implants uh, yes yeah then kind of yeah it's, it's that feeling of goodness that kind of boosts adrenaline endorphins uh, right kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he basically got- gets like a crazy dopamine rush when he's fighting and those feelings are drained when he's not fighting so it's it's this yeah. way that the the people on this planet um basically forced their slave fighters to want to fight is to put this and then they would just fight all the time to feel good and then it was blood sport and they loved watching it so mm. out of the bat before anything happens angron is already completely horribly mistreated that, that's such a horrific fate for anyone and i think it speaks to his test testament of his character that in spite of this incredible problem that he's faced that essentially damages him you know emotionally and psychologically for the rest of his life he still ends up being a leader of men and having loyalty to the other slaves he kind of has a spartacus moment and leads a revolt and in the final moments of that revolution on the planet the emperor shows up like he did to mortarian and says i want you to join my ranks you're you're one of mine essentially and then Angron says, I would rather die with my men here in this final battle than serve you. I don't know who you are, all this stuff. And the emperor is like, so be it, and leaves. But then instead of letting him do that, right at the last second, when the slaves are about to be engaged by the powers that be on this planet, he just Mm -hmm. beams up Angron, teleports him onto his ship, and Angron just watches all of his brothers in arms get massacred by the army and he's not there to help them Mm. so i mean what else could that do besides breed the most horrific hatred in in angron especially someone who basically has no means of he has no coping mechanism because he's Mm. been raised as a slave he's been raised in violence and he has like cortical implants that are basically making him a a machine of hate like that he almost has no other emotion and But there's, there's there's a huge martial code with him as well. Um, yeah, from obviously being a gladiator as well. So it's kind of yeah, uh, it's um, having that code and kind of also um, kind of being essentially swearing a pact with your brothers and then kind of at the last minute you're just teleported out. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's horrific. So cold. Yeah, yeah. It's and and the emperor does so many things like that where maybe the ends justify the means if you believe in his cause you believe in the unification of humanity and all this stuff but he does such a bad job of explaining himself for one thing and for another thing 
his his sense of timing, his sense of honor and justice just seems not present. Um, yeah. He he seems to be utterly inhuman. I would say in the way that he behaves and his dismissal of how that would affect Angron is, I think, just an incredible oversight. And it seems to me that it comes from the fact that he is so inhuman. Mm. Um, you know, someone with with deep levels of empathy and humanity would know that that is a horrible idea. Um, that's not a way to, to breed loyalty. It's not a way to get Angron on your side. And mm. ultimately, you know, it's part of what leads to Angron's defiance and his turning to chaos because mm. um, as much as maybe he was, you know, slated for that anyway, because Korn loves rage monsters and he was the ultimate rage monster. Mm. Um, I think he is really just a product of his upbringing and the emperor completely abused. Like if you, if you think of the Primarchs as people, he was completely abused and and the emperor is part of his abuse and manipulation and there's there's no real reason that angron would be loyal other than he believes in his cause but the yeah. the problem is the primarchs don't see his vision the way he does and that's uh, to me it's the the traitor primarchs especially are um there's something so shakespearean about them um cuz you know everyone that gets into warhammer sort of knows the heresy happens and they know that there's this deep background of all the traitor legions turning and we know the Horus heresy occurred we know Horus is a traitor but reading the heresy novels we know the outcome but that's not what it's about it's about the the journey yeah and it's about those character um you know the the depth of character that we read about and learning where these people come from and their motivations. And it's very Shakespearean to me because people did not know that Romeo and Juliet are going to die at the end of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. They went because they wanted to see that story played out because it's so fascinating and it tells this deep, rich, uh, you know, yeah. aspect of the human character, mm. uh, the human condition. And, and I think that the Primarchs are such a great example of, of that too. So they feel very Shakespearean to me. So Angron, to me, is such a tragic figure. And I think uh, you'll see that again and again with the traitor Primarchs, that there's such a huge depth of tragedy. They're not just villains. They're, you know, they're often pushed to the limits of what they can endure. And then they make a choice that seems very justifiable when you're seeing it firsthand. I mean, you know, do any yeah, of us think we could do better? It's calm. Yeah, uh, you can understand the decision behind it, right? Even though you know that essentially that leads them down the path that kind of you know to essentially damnation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, th there's always this question of like, do you really think you could do have done better than them in that scenario? Do you think your force of will is so strong that you could have endured the the pain and anguish of the butcher's nails and that upbringing? I mean, imagine not having parents and, you know, the only thing that you knew growing up was fighting and pain and mm. the, you know, the only thing you could rely on was the the man next to you and, and all this stuff. Yeah. It, it defines who these people are. And they're, you know, as much as they're almost godlike in their 
physical prowess and everything that they're, they're still you know they have human brains essentially as far as like the way they process information and if anything that's their deepest flaw they weren't just born as like automatons that follow the emperor's will they have their own will mm. and that is hugely problematic for the emperor because he acts as if they will just follow him no matter what yeah. so well he doesn't he doesn't see them as sons but i mean that's another that's another thing but it's um um but yeah it's the all too human flaws i mean mm -hmm. going back to angron the one thing i do like about him is um i'd say out of all the other primarchs he's he's the reluctant primarch yeah he never wanted to leave right um, yeah i mean essentially yeah he was put into slavery you know forced into fighting and bondage and kind of you know not in the kinky way but just the actual <laughs> he never he never wanted to lead essentially he just wanted to escape and that was always denied him um you know he tried many times the gladiator bits and just like you know but they were all failed um because you know he just couldn't until towards the end and like he already said kind of you know and the, the emperor came down at the last minute but then he said no because he didn't want to lead yeah. And Emperor just went, nah, you're coming anyway. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, he's, he's literally the only person who did, he didn't want any of it. Yeah. He, you know, it's, he wanted to be left to his own devices. He just wanted freedom and freedom for the people that he fought with. Um, you know, like I say, going back to that code of honor, um, that warrior's code that he's got. Um, and that stayed with him. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just quite interesting. I can kind of see it from the other point though, and there's a there's a few. It's and it, again, it makes you feel for Angron even more. Obviously, his reaction wasn't good when he got um, taken taken up into as uh, you know uh, the Legion starship. But right. there was a point where, obviously, like all the Primarchs, Primarchs, he returned to Earth for a while. And there's a bit in Master of Mankind, um, and it's very eye opening. Uh, basically, um, there's this there's this Magos Arkham land, uh, mm -hmm. and he's brought in, kind of you know, talks to the Emperor and everything. Um, and one of the scenes is basically there's Angron on essentially the uh, essentially on the surgical table. Yep. And there's this there's this thing they're just kind of talking about the nails and what they do and everything. And um, you know, basically the end of the conversation is just like, well, should we take these out? And the emperor's just like, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I probably could do it, but I, 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 I think he needs it. Like, yeah. and it's just like, oh, that's like, horrific. Oh. Yeah, so, 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 you know, it's he had his almost one chance of salvation, and yeah. just, the emperor just kind of like went, nah. He's kind yeah. of like. He, he, I, I think he needs it. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's some kind of foresight because uh, a lot of the a, a lot of the Imperium, even back in the Heresy, kind of saw him as like almost to a lot to, to some of the Emperor, the Imperium. He was kind of seen as the weakling. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, when you look at it, he was the he, again like he was the one Primarch that didn't essentially bring his planet in line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you could argue the same with Mortarian, but Mortarian pretty much had one last battle to go. He almost did. Yeah, way. he almost did it. But but Angron is the only Primarch to not even essentially, you know, get even a part of his planet kind of like together. Um, 
or change anything around. Um, all he did, all he managed to do was, you know, eventually escape. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, fight one last doomed battle that he was never going to win. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like and um there's a, there's a, there's quite a sick burn that kind of one of the um the custodes gives oh uh, yeah like about it just kind of just going you know it's just like that dude like he's nothing <laughs> oh yeah yeah like, you know he's, he's, he's not he's not worth anything it's just like he couldn't he couldn't could even control bring his planet in so it's yeah. just like you no know, he's, he's he's got nothing can compare to the other ones yeah uh, uh you know he's just too too one-dimensional but you know that in its own right i think he played to his advantage a lot as well because mm-hmm. uh, there is moments where you can just you, you can see that he almost um relies on the fact that other people just aren't going to um you know treat him with uh any respect or kind of you know really you know because he wants to be left alone he kind of plays plays on that kind of you know nails um thing and yeah just, kind of you know it's just like well you know if i treat everyone around like you know like i am this rage monster then i'll just kind of be left alone yeah uh, which is kind of what he wanted anyway <laughs> yep um so kind of like a little dig back to kind of like make life bearable for it right yeah but even the kind of down to you know i mean it took him a while to um even adopt his legion and kind mm-hmm. of you know, treat them as kind of you know the new set of uh warriors that he can mold to his own I re- you know there's uh again uh, i can't remember it's a very short story of when Khan meets um angron for the first time and mm-hmm. you know he should just been teleported yeah. and uh we're talking about for days and days and days um you know people try to you know just go hi i'm your legion <laughs> welcome dad and um everyone who basically entered um the room that he was teleported into just basically got slaughtered yeah, just <laughs> kill them yeah <laughs> just like no 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 <laughs> yeah he wasn't uh, having any of it yeah and it was uh and it's kind of one of those things he almost killed khan as well but it was right. it was literally just the way that Khan's um, behavior was and the honor that he had and the fact that he was uh, kind of willing to fight um, regardless of the odds kind of you know that struck a chord with him eventually and um, you know he kind of calmed down enough to um, you know actually uh, you know make friends essentially with his legion (laughs) yeah 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 and I I think you know it was it's interesting to say that the world eaters are have ever demonstrated anything resembling diplomacy. But I think that mm. Karn's efforts, you know, to assuage Angron and make him see that there is honor in them as well, that was a, a sort of olive branch, um, you know, as far as the world leaders function and as far as what they see important, um, he showed him respect. He showed him that they have respect and that they respect the same sort of martial code and i think it was you know angron finally realized that there are others out there besides the people he fought with on the planet surface and he doesn't need to just murder all these people because they don't deserve it they they are the people that you know he would have at his side in a fight and it is weird to say that that's like a diplomatic thing that essentially karn was willing to fight um in in the face of uh, you know, overwhelming odds, but to the world leaders, I think that actually is a form of diplo- to diplomacy because it builds that camaraderie. Yeah, um, 
but anyway, that's that's enough about the uh, world eaters, I suppose, for now. So, um, what's another uh, legion that that piques your interest, Snow? Um, another one, and it's it's it, it piques my interest on the fluff, but only with regards to a couple of characters. And it's one um, I just kind of I don't like the look of them per mm. se on the tabletop, but one that I just find very intriguing is the Night Lords. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's one of the ones. It's one of the fewer ones, but they're just really, really intriguing. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, just with um, the Night Haunter, uh, you know, Conrad Kurz, and yeah. uh, just there's a couple of characters with it. Just like they're just amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, talking about kind of Angron being this um, rage monster. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Conrad Kurz is very much like that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for obviously very different reasons yeah uh, and it's quite interesting just how um almost you kind of you feel for him because it's he's gifted with this um incredible foresight right um to the extent where he knows what's going to happen um uh, he's seen it he's kind of lived it um over and over again and um it's kind of yet still there's this nobility about him to begin with, mm-hmm. even though it's slightly flawed, just because obviously he he um, takes the easy option by uh, installing fear, basically, uh, yeah. to bring everyone in line. Um, but obviously the Emperor didn't really care about that because, you know, he brought everyone in line. <laughs> <It's kind> of, <laughs> yeah. Um, the means justified. <laughs> so the yeah, just, yeah. It's kind of as it were. But um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just, um, it's just the way that, you kind of wonder how much he did actually know or you leaves you questioning um you know the fact that because he knew all of this anyway um <laughs> why did he bother um yeah you know, um why did he know you know that obviously the heresy was going to happen that um you know he'd essentially die at the hands of the imperium um or at least it's suspected anyway but mm-hmm. you know like it's it's just with this huge knowledge it's kind of you know um yeah it's hard to describe it it's it it, it just strikes a chord uh, yeah. the fact that he's just um very very evil character at heart though um you know <laughs> fr- from a lot of his a uh, lot of the books and a lot of the stories that he's in just because he plays to it um because it's the easiest thing um i mean it's it's also kind of again it's 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 I, maybe it's just even down to the fact that um Anyone who says no to the well, kind of no to the emperor is quite cool. Such in the cases like Angron or like Mortarion, <laughs> but um, it's interesting that um, Conrad kind of wanted to say no, but yeah. he he kind of did anyway. But again, because of this knowledge of foresight, he was just like, well, I, I know the future. I've seen yeah. the end. This is this is my path. So you know, it's kind of almost resigned to it. Yeah, it's the fact that kind of even said kind of you know what the empress I can't remember the exact words the emperor said to him kind of you know kind of, you know come join the empire and the imperial man and kind of you know everything and um, <laughs> he actually even turned around to the emperor at that point is just like I know who you are and I know what you've got in plan in mind for me and again that kind of leaves that little Easter egg kind of with especially as things have progressed with the stories and everything has been built on a lot um, yeah. 
it's kind of you've got even more weight to it now because you've got to wonder again with the Primarchs and I think we touched on it before um, with one of our chats uh, maybe not on a podcast but the fact that kind of with the Thunder Warriors they were a means to an end yes yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously sure. you them to survive and you've kind of got to wonder about the next iteration kind of you know with the primarchs and the marine legions were they here as end goal or did he have another thing in mind right. essentially to you know once once the imperium was conquered um you know what was going to happen with these primarchs these generals yeah. but there's that kind of you know question left on hanging um like were they going to be capable of um, anything else other than being generals of armies right. uh, you know, I mean, obviously Gilliman had like the statesman thing and he very much uh, tried to instill that into the rest of his legion. But mm-hmm. you've got to wonder about a few of them. Would they have really had a place in the Imperium? In, yeah. Um, would Angron would have? Right. Um, you know, again, same with the Nighthaunter. Yeah. Uh, you know, with this strange twist of fate. Um, and kind of, you know, this, yeah, like I say, you know, this is almost like this vizier that kind of just can just see everything. Uh, yeah. And he knows but he's driven mad by it. And again, it's um there's um the the other character as well that he's just it's not very much written about him, but he's just such a badass, <laughs> which is uh Sevitar. Mm-hmm. And he's just again, I don't wanna I don't, I don't wanna spoil all the books you're going to read, but <laughs> the thing about Sevitar is just amazing. He's this very just awesome character. It's just yeah, he, I, I can't I can't say anything without spoiling it because it's <laughs> written about him. Sorry yeah. about that. It doesn't make no, it good okay. podcasting, but um, yeah, I'd say that's <laughs> that's another legion that kind of like say strikes a chord. I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't say a lot with that. Um, that's, no, that's totally okay. And yeah, um, and talking about you know Night Hunter too, I I think he's really interesting because he's sort of a if you take out the the prophetic part of him where he can see things happening. He, he basically turned into like, if, if Batman were like the mayor of a city or something like, (laughs) um, you know, he, he inspired such fear, um, in his people that they were driven to, or it's like if, if Batman met, uh, you know, Batman and Stalin had a baby or something like that. There's this aspect of like, incredible cruelty but it you combine that with like a states person because he was a he was essentially like a governmental leader mm. um and you know the justice that he is obsessed with is so extreme um and you get the vibe of you know uh some sort of dictatorship but also he seems like he's essentially leading by being a, a nightmare figure um his whole idea is to inspire fear and um and 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 make people afraid to do wrong um and you know that doesn't when it comes to the crusade for the imperium he doesn't um really worry about that as far as like a justice system he just uses his troops as terror troops and his Mm. whole thing is to uh you know, basically deconstruct the enemy uh, morale before a battle even begins. And then they're already sort of uh, crippled in a sense, or they at least start off on the wrong foot before a battle even starts. Yeah. They're often caught with their pants down and stuff. Yeah, um, there's very much a psychological warfare by um, 
kind of just playing on them. So they 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 literally uh, they don't know what to do because literally the fear has been driven into them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's kind of like while there's this very flawed like methodology that you know Conrad Kurz has with this, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, with the lesser beings as it were, as the the adeptus of starters, so it's kind of like that are even more prone to flaws than kind of the primarchs can be. Uh, mm -hmm. Or, you know, because there's, you know, less power there, essentially. Just kind of, like, made for this very sadistic culture that kind of just went a bit too crazy. Um, yeah. And, you know, they just became psychopaths, basically, that would just <laughs> go around yeah, committing all these atrocities and, you know, literally, like, flaying people and right. everything yeah. Just, yeah. To kind of, just for the lols more so than kind of almost. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, they took too much pleasure in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a huge inherent amount of sadism in them. And mm -hmm. I think that is interesting too because it it draws upon like their their history of the night lords being um you know at least the first generation like the the terran night lords that inherited the legion um or that uh Kurs inherited as his legion they mm -hmm. were born out of like the depths of like prison cells and stuff on on holy terra um mm -hmm. where you know these essentially it was like a slave prisoner system where entire groups of people were relegated to these slums where only like criminals lived but the, mm. they existed for so long that children were born in those worlds and those children became the night lords so even mm. as far as like you know you often see the primarchs go through this abusive childhood but in this case even the legion started as like an abused um malnourished sort of like never saw the light of day uh group and so that trauma i think is like a full spectrum mm. like top-down thing where like the primarch and his legion were deeply disturbed um yeah. whereas often the primarch is influencing the legion's behavior i feel like they night lords were predisposed to being like that anyway so mm. um maybe it's because there was so much like inherent sycophantism in like their desire to do cruelty and their being used to it because of their upbringing that you know conrad didn't have any resistance to his ideas there was no there were only people saying yes because they were totally into it. And maybe that would be less common in a different chapter if he'd been given a different legion. Yeah, um, it was by fear as well because obviously when he took over the planet, it kind of, it's that cycle. Um, yeah. Really, that just kind of, you know, he, he, he basically just kind of like gave himself a flawed legion by, uh, yeah. you know, just like leading by fear. And, you know, th that example just carried on yeah um it's quite interesting because again like you wonder with the foresight and again kind of this i suppose it's a little bit about sevatar i can say which is just that um again because of this crazy psychic abilities um you know sevatar had that from a young age as well mm -hmm. and because again it kind of lent towards um kind of an arrogance and also um just you know because he had this uh foresight there and that it was kind of like linked in with um yeah. he was just 
it, it was kind of one of those he was he didn't really understand anyone else's point of view uh, that arrogance and kind of you know it's kind of inherent evilness and sadisticness was there and because he was so rarely wrong like conrad kurz is just like you know he's just you know he knew everything because he saw it yeah. um because you know like with service i was so very wrong really wrong um he couldn't take in other people's opinions um mm -hmm. just knew that he you know he was gifted and would, would kind of know everything so he was just this this belief that he was right and there was no point in kind of taking him anyone else's view or you know any other any you know just any outside influence and just kind of you know that insular path of just i'm right no no, no one else has got really anything to really sway me on this yeah and that kind of you know leads towards this uh yeah just this very evil <laughs> character yeah uh, yeah the prince of crows the kind of you know in Servitar and also yeah with the night horns um and again it's um there's nice um bits in the later books as well where you get to where you get to see kind of you know there's lots of different dialogue that happens between um conrad kurz and sanguinius uh, mm. And you kind of get to see the evilness and the kind of this. There's this kind of almost toying, playful nature because he's seen everything, but he's, you know, it's kind of almost. Uh, it's just I'm, I'm, I can't spoil it because it's too in depth. Mm -hmm. And it, but it leads you to really think, kind of, you know, is he a savable character? Is he not? It's just like. You know, he's almost because there is a certain ability there, but yeah. you know, he's just played by this. Um, you kind of wonder um but also then you know there's other aspects where you know what he does to vulcan is just right. <laughs> so awful yeah yeah um yeah you know it's just like literally ten thousand ways to die and um <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think he finds every single one of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, um i mean it's good. going back to yourself i mean is there anything else about the the night lords kind of you know you think or is there another legion that kind of really strikes a chord with you yeah so um i'll just say about about kurz that i think his sort of uh his visions i think are one of the more interesting aspects of um the demonstration of of the the warp influencing these these beings um because i have to assume and and you probably know better than i do uh but i have to assume those visions are coming from a place of psychic potential in him yeah um and yeah is he very gifted um but the it's it's kind of um with him it's, it's it doesn't outwardly show um for example like it does with magnus uh where he can just right. pass for days it's um it's very much uh, uh it's more an internal thing um, yeah. with the Lords. um like they have this psychic potential they tap into um and like with Servitar, it's just kind of, you know, he, he, he fight quicker, he doesn't tire. It's kind of almost, he just uses the power inwardly uh, yeah. rather than outwardly. Um, and it's kind of the same with Kurz. Um, all the power is essentially used to, um, you know, give him these crazy visions. And the problem is because um, he gets them, it kind of almost is, exacerbates. It's something that he doesn't want to use because he kind of doesn't really want the visions. Um, right. But he's played by them constantly and he has no say in it mm -hmm. uh which and because of this madness he doesn't really uh get to use it in any other way yeah. other than just kind of you know just seeing the schemes of fate and um just 
you know, almost having this nihilistic view of yeah. what he sees and he very rarely kind of lets slip what he knows. Yeah. Uh, but there are little nuggets every now and again when you hear these bits of dialogue with him and you just think it's just like, damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> he, and He does know a lot. Um, yeah. And he knew he was going to be assassinated too, uh, seemingly before it happened. He allowed himself to be killed. Mm. Um, I, I assume there's really no way that an Imperial assassin could kill a Primarch so capably, um, mm. unless they wanted to be killed. And yeah. in his case, it seemed like he did because he's a tortured being. And he, I think to an extent, not only did he know that it was going to happen, but he was, I think he saw it as a final, uh, release of, of, his life from this pain and this and this tortuous thing and i think his sadism you know I, I think it adds to his depth of character that he what he reveled in the pain that he caused but mm. i think that any you know imbalanced mind um knows that it's disturbed whether or not he enjoyed doing it he knew that it was there's something wrong with it yeah. um and i think he saw it as like a relief for himself and for everyone to just allow himself to be um, taken out of the equation essentially and yeah. relieved of his own burden of existence. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to the idea of, you know, you mentioned him being nihilistic. I think that's, that makes a lot of sense for someone who knows everything already. Mm -hmm. Um, if you There's know everything of fate that he has it's, yeah uh, and i mean sometimes he tries to fight against it there is yeah. that ability there but yeah i mean ultimately he's like uh he almost knows kind of what's happening uh, yeah. and uh, knows knows the end game already and he just yeah. he wants to quicken to it um, right. <laughs> yeah and imagine too like you know the ennui uh, of or the boredom of, of being a, a person like that, where you know everything. And, you know, I, I feel like sadism often comes from people who essentially are bored. You know, your, your mind needs more and mm -hmm. you dig deeper for, for sensation and, and purpose and everything. And the mind can go to dark places when that happens. And I think, mm -hmm he sort of is the terminus of that idea, like the, the farthest reaching apex of someone who, when you have seen everything and your experience is so deep, you know, where is there to go besides the most extreme places in the human soul or whatever, at least to attempt to feel something. Yeah. And, um, and so often that can come out as sadism and violence, causing others pain and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, so he, he also kind of, you know, is um, again, it's um, there's there's a bit of evilness into it. It's, it shows a sadistic nature that he falls, falls back on. Yeah. Uh, um, but again, you kind of, you know, there's this duality there that kind of, you know, is he is he kind of having these little moments where he's just like um, um, he, he realizes the dark path that's going down. He tries to rebel against it in some little ways in kind of, you know, some maybe little glimmers of, uh, you know, stability and, um, you know, goodness that he has somewhere. Yeah. In, in, 
um you know even when he goes down to um you know yeah um his home world was um rebelling again and he wasn't happy with his legion and the way they were uh and you know even down to the point where you know he realized what was going on with nostromo and um and the adeptus of starters at kind of this legion and um he went back to his home world and literally just did exterminatus and just you know just basically bombarded the planet and killed it yeah uh, you know um thus by also sealing his fate really because um because such a callous act um that you know the other legions kind of you know were too late to kind of like save from it was just like you what have you done you literally committed mass genocide yeah uh, we have to bring you in and you know he almost kind of you know just uh you know he realized what was going to happen had to you know stop something um so yeah um you kind of again he did it for the wrong reasons and obviously again with uh instilling fear and that kind of you know going to you know the nth degree probably a little yeah. bit too much <laughs> yeah um, you know it, it was in his nature to just go right well this isn't happening so instead of kind of maybe trying to sort out the easy way uh the, the hard way um it, it'll take the easy option and basically just yeah blew the planet apart yeah um, but again, little little aspects of that you kind of got to wonder. You know, was there something else in there, or right. you know, was he led towards it? Was there a bit of goodness left in him that was trying to uh, stop a further evil from happening, or you know, nip it in the bud before something else could you know essentially become worse? Yeah, yeah. There's a it's, like I say a lot of good stories involving with him. Um, yeah, it makes him a super compelling character. Think, yeah, sure. it does. Um. But you had you'd mentioned Magnus too, um, and that again is I think a good segue because the next legion I was going to talk about was the Thousand Sons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the Thousand Sons are they're they're probably one of my favorite legions, and um, a few times you've mentioned how these how these things function on the table, mm-hmm. um, and I think that it feels sort of unfair for like the codex uh legions because the you know the thousand sons and the and the death guard get their own books and they have like a lot of unique stuff going on compared to the other ones Mm -hmm. um and it it's just a little it's a little sad i guess for people like the night lords and stuff that you know they're reduced to basically um a simple chapter trait and uh you know they have the same psychic table as everyone else they have the same access to everything else it's like basically the generic sort of loadout but um they actually they can function pretty cool with the stacking leadership debuffs and stuff but um you know you do wish there's more depth you you wish that every legion could have its own codex and or yeah that that definitely that would be such an amazing thing (laughs) yeah it would be amazing and you know i'm not that's not me complaining about games workshop it's more just like uh, i I like to dream um it's one of the if in a perfect world um, yeah that that kind of grand wish list it's just like exactly yeah i mean i'd I'd probably extend that to quite a lot of other um codexes as well oh yeah for sure yeah (laughs) Yeah. i mean we would end up having like 80 codexes if we got our (laughs) got our wish but yeah I mean, granted, um, they'd all kind of like paper thin because yeah, just, yeah, they'd be kind of like, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of um, um, yeah. So anyway, um, but as you know, from a from a 
fluff perspective, from a narrative perspective, I think the Thousand Sons are so interesting. And I think we can all agree, or the, those of us who are, you know, right, uh, mentally balanced can agree <laughs> that uh, Magnus did do some things wrong. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. I think that the motivations for those things come from a very noble place. Um, I think Magnus was a was a huge combination of um, wishing for the best to happen, but being so arrogant um, so as yeah. to think that he could control powers far beyond his understanding. Yeah, um, he, he thought he knew everything, and it was it was his own hubris that brought him down. Um, yeah. And despite, yeah, but I agree, it's just like such noble intentions and such an amazing character. Uh, yeah. And it all comes from a place of knowledge and light and good. He just literally wanted the best for humanity. Um, but it's kind of this ultimate belief kind of, you know, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It's the old adage, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, power corrupts. Ultimate yeah. power corrupts, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it's it, it definitely is the case with Magnus. Um, that kind of, yeah, this power that he bargained for um, essentially kind of led him to this point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, such an amazing character. Um, and just, yeah, there's, there's such nobility and, you know, even self sacrifice in there that he gives for his legion uh, yeah. and everything else, um, you know, throughout, through, throughout his whole story arc. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously it's more esoteric now that he's become a demon prince. Um, right. But, but still, there's this. Uh, you kind of there's this almost resigned belief um that kind of you know he feels now that even now kind of with this power he's got that um he's doing the best um, yeah. sometimes yeah. um you know despite the fact it's now he's you know very much in talks as each <laughs> exactly yeah and i think um you know you were speaking of the sort of lack of camaraderie or the the sort of bickering nature between typhus and and mortarian earlier where Mm. they you know they they're constantly sort of at odds with each other and um you know typhus is sort of that problematic child that's always dissenting yeah um but when you look at um araman versus magnus that they were they loved each other so deeply and profoundly um before the heresy um and i think that that respect that mutual respect and that love for one another really did you know it reverberated through i think the whole legion and um the thousand sons were very insular and i think they appeared very stony and um cold to outsiders um the other legions but to Mm. themselves there was this like incredible depth of love and respect and it's so interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, as a as a person in the 21st century, uh, growing up, reading what I did, knowing about education and being self-informed and all this stuff, I really get behind their idea that knowledge is the key and education and knowledge are, are the keys to a better, brighter tomorrow. Yeah. But it's sort of like, if we lived in a world where demons actually existed, that would be a problematic thought. And um, <laughs> that's what makes it so interesting is that like 
the grimdark uh, aesthetic sort of it justifies these horrible prejudices that humans have had for one another in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the idea of the inquisition and witch hunts and, and puritanism and all this stuff has these like deep problems because mm-hmm. it's so based around prejudice and destroying and killing people who have done nothing wrong based on abstract concepts that didn't actually exist. But well- you say that, but I mean, in the um, in the in the the whole forty uh, Warhammer forty K universe, yeah, um, it's kind of I understand what you mean, and yes, to your average everyday soul, that you know, in the Imperium, that would be the case. It's yeah. kind of you know, it's literally just fear mongering, and you know, abhor the mutant, abhor the witch, um, yeah. you know, burn them. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's um, it's definitely instilled from this. Um, previous time like the with the um age dark age of technology mm-hmm. where um you know mutation and psychers were a lot more rampant and you know th- essentially the only reason why the great crusade was happening was because there was this whole period where mankind almost destroyed itself from right. these aspects um right. where there'd be these mutants there'd be this you know yes a lot of it came from technology but you know, with the iron, uh, you know, men of iron, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, also just with um, you know these crazy psycho overlords that were just you know warring, and you know these their mutant minions that they kind of they'd experiment on, and you know um, it literally just led to this war on Earth, terror that kind of you know it literally almost destroyed destroyed human the human race. Yeah, uh, um, and that was kind of you know felt throughout um, a lot of. Um, a lot, a lot of the Imperium as it was then. Yes, uh, yes. You know, we obviously don't know how big it was. It was obviously wasn't the Imperium, but you know, basically galactic mankind um, right. was very much kind of you know beset by these, but by these evils. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that it's now drilled into obviously comes from because all of this is forgotten, mm-hmm. uh, comes from a very bad place. But you can see why, in the greater scheme of things, that it was um, that, that it's there. Uh, yeah. And but and I sorry, I meant to say. What, what I was saying is that like in, in our world, in, in the human world, these, these um, incredibly conservative, destructive ideas are unfounded. Um, but in the, yeah, but in the 41st millennium um, and just the entire grimdark aesthetic, the history of it, it the, the, I think what makes it so fascinating is that those ideas actually have a have a purpose and they come from a real place because mm. in a world where demons actually exist and where people learning secrets and uh you know digging into dark uh paths that they you know are they're just interested in they they find knowledge they they seek power and the fact that the empyrean exists and can you know influence your your mortality it can turn you into demonhood or it can bring demons through you or into the world around you there's Mm -hmm. there's real danger to open thought and um yeah literally can be a very dangerous thing in this universe (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it's so interesting it's so different from the way things are in the real world but it what it makes 
it look like is it makes it look like the thousand sons are like an enlightened legion and they really know what they're doing and they really know the the state of things and they make everyone else sound like superstitious crazy people mm. but in the world of 40k the the problem is that they're wrong and that those superstitious people are right so mm. um i think that that's what makes them such a sympathetic group is that you anyone who is free thinking and loves the application of knowledge um, mm. and thinks that that's sort of the, the paving the future of humanity would think that the thousand sons are doing everything right. But yeah. um, when you look at it from the perspective of like that could actually open a, a gate to hell, essentially, um, then, you know, you realize they're dabbling in things they probably shouldn't. So. Mm. Or at least that they should have a better understanding if they're going to do it or something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, yeah, it was knowledge for knowledge's sake, and it was the, it was, the, it was the pursuit of it that essentially brought them down. But I mean, yeah. um, it, it's what makes it more tragic. I mean, um, oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can argue that with the Greater Imperium, even in the Great Crusade, it was quite, um, it wasn't a cheery place to live. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, obviously not quite as uh, grim, dark, and dystopian as it is in the 40th millennium. Mm -hmm. um but you know it's um it still wasn't great but um i mean tizka and you know prospero itself were justice uh, i mean that's what makes it more and more tragic because you saw this um empire that magnus had built on prospero yeah and just you know despite the fact that there are inherent dangers and kind of you know um you know psychic beasts and everything that would roam you had this culture that's you know completely utopian in the you know it was very welcoming of outsiders um you know that weren't you know other other legions right. um, and they really um they, they they mingled among their people they you know they they literally you know tried to give everyone on the planet the best um you know all this law this kind of you know it, it you know the cultures have you know you know led to try to push people to kind of like debate the great things in life yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know it was this it was this um incredible place of learning and you know just it, it, like i say this utopian thing where it's almost how you know sort of the best of humanity could what what it could be yeah. um, just by realizing that you know with all this knowledge and all this um you know power that can be gleaned from it you know as long as it's used for the right purpose yep. um you know can essentially just you know you you wonder kind of like if they had their way how how great the universe could have been <laughs> yeah no absolutely like, you know, it's just this place of peace and learning and just you know the amazing things could happen yeah uh, you know but um yeah ultimately yeah flawed and you know such such a tragic tale with um the loss i mean obviously you've read prospero burns yeah uh, and you've you have skipped ahead didn't you because you did read um the the flip side to it yeah i read a thousand sons which came first and then i jumped to prospero burns so that i, I have those know. things back to back yeah mm, yeah it's like and it's it's definitely the best way to read it back to back it's yeah. just just the same story but some two sides of different coin it's yeah. just uh yeah it's just an amazing amazing double double act on those books yeah absolutely and again it's one of those you just um it, it really plays with your uh perceptions because obviously you're aware of you know 
um, Araman and you're aware of Magnus and the 40k, you're aware of kind of, you know, the space walls and, you know, how noble and kind of loyal they are to the Imperium. And despite the fact that, you know, Lehman Russ got played by, by Horus. Yeah. You you finish those two books and you really feel for the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Really kind of like you don't kind of really like the space walls that much afterwards. You're kind of just thinking, you know, even though they got played, it's just like the way they behaved um against each other. You just yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just they just like, feel not, so short sighted. It's yeah. they, they feel so like their blind loyalty to, you know, the Imperial Edict. Mm. makes them feel so short-sighted the fact that they're willing to essentially you know the burning of prospero mirrors the burning of alexandria you know i i always think about imagine where the world might have been now if that place this incredible you know center of of knowledge and information even in the ancient world hadn't Mm. been destroyed um and it's much the same with Prospero. I mean, there's so much good there. Yeah. And and it could have stayed that way, um, even if they had weeded out the the, the problem parts of it. Um, yeah. You know, there's the, it, it's not worth... <laughs> they essentially... It's the ultimate act of, like, throwing the baby out with the, with the bathwater. <laughs> yeah. Um, because you just... They took every, I mean, Prospero, like you said, it was this utopian, it was like a center of human achievement and progress and showing what humanity could achieve. The Astartes didn't distance themselves from their people. They, they interacted with them and they educated them. And the Astartes there weren't just an instrument of war. They were an mm. instrument of knowledge. They, they were scholars each. And um, that's a rare thing. I mean, you have Gilliman who trained his people to be statesmen, but you were talking about like, would the legions have a place if the once the crusade ended and what was the emperor's plan? And I think regardless of his plan, there are certain legions that were set up to have a meaningful existence, regardless of whether or not they were at war. And I think the Thousand Sons were certainly one of those groups because even in war, they made so much time uh, to commit to learning yeah. and education and educating their people as well, educating Prospero in, in everything that they learned and these esoteric things that they, that they uncovered. And I think that um, and it was done in such a respectful and responsible way for the most part because, mm-hmm. you know, you see in A Thousand Sons, they bring on the um, remembrancers and they teach them how to use their gifts in a in a safe uh effective way it's not yeah. like oh just recklessly you know dive into this it's like no you can do this much better but we're going to teach you how to do it in like a safe way and um and you know it's the same thing as sort of the the council at nikea is um you know that the the librarian essentially that that white scar librarian um made oh, this gr- the, great case oh the storm said yeah um yeah yasuge yeah uh, yeah such such an amazing character yeah uh, yeah yeah I, and and you know the 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 case he made it was it was to promote the use of the warp but 
to make sure that we're doing it in a smart way. We're going about it safely and stuff. And the emperor was just resolutely against it. Absolutely 100% against it, no matter what he said. Mm. Um, despite the fact that this case was, his case was so compelling. And, and I think, you know, the, the compelling nature of his case, I think was reflected in mm. just the way that the thousand sons educated themselves and educated their people. They, they weren't being stupid and they weren't being foolhardy. They really were being as smart as you could be about it. But yeah. the problem is that they were being led by someone who was so arrogant and who was so, so mm. self-assured that it led to them being reckless without even knowing it. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so tragic. Like you said, it's just so tragic. Yeah, but it's, it is. It's kind of one of those with the, the cancer, Nikia, Nikia, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, you, you understand the kind of in the greater part of it, the reason why this, the whole thing happened was, uh, it was basically a kind of almost like the slapdown that Lorgar got, um, yeah. but kind of in a different way that kind of, you know, just, it's just like saw the way the madness was going. But then, kind of had to put a stop to it because um, you know it was just it was too much. Yeah. Um, the the fact that you see it kind of just basically instead of arguing the yes or no, just literally kind of stood up in front of everyone. You know, the emperor. You know, Primarch Galore. Um, you know, the <laughs> the entire kind of you know council of um, terror and the high yeah. lords and saying kind of you know there's this there's this third road we can we can all do. It's just like you know just teaching temperance and kind of you know the fact that. You know, yes. Um, you know, in the right hands, just you know, just with with discipline. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it can be for the good and the betterment of mankind. And, yeah. uh, you know, rather than this flawed kind of you know, pretend the warp doesn't exist because <laughs> we, you know, but I can't tell anyone about it because yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, amazing. Just, yeah. just little scenes. But um, that's because I love obviously the white scars that we talked about. Um, yeah, exactly. but i mean going back to um going back to the thousand sons um mm -hmm. the kind of overall arc as well just of how tragic their story is um yeah. i mean araman's tale as well is just just something else altogether oh, yeah um you know guys guy went around a lot <laughs> yeah yeah he's, he's done some incredible incredible things um and again like even toward, even in later elements of the horace heresy kind of um bringing the um uh again it will be a spoiler for you but they're hmm. basically kind of you know just almost rescuing his primark um and kind of what i'm not going to go into the guts of it but um you know just again trying to do good um seeing that they were in you know they were um you know, um, screwed over essentially by the Imperium and by everyone yeah. else, um, but trying to just cling to um, and just kind of piece back his, you know, his legion that he loves so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and the way he goes about it by kind of, you know, just, you know, ultimately again, just that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. But, um, you know, just the way that um, Magnus was after, um, you know, the, the raising of Prospero, as it were, and the fact that he was broken, uh, you know, and that happens, you know, essentially not just not just in a physical aspect to him as well, but the way that Araman goes around it, there's this, you know, um, there's this love there, um, you know, yeah. that he's got, um, and that's never left really, um, which ultimately led to some very bad decisions, <laughs> obviously with the rubricate and everything. Right. 
Um, and even still, um, you know, there's a bit about him, you know, it's despite the fact that obviously he's been very, very twisted now. Um, everything he's doing is still, you know, just for the trying to trying to peace and bring his legion back. It's, it's clinging to, um, uh, it's clinging to what was. Right. Um, and that kind of bit is being forgotten about just with this uh, seeking of knowledge for knowledge's sakes now. And um, but still kind of is wanting to reverse everything and just bring it back to as it was um, this this utopian thing in the past now that um, can never be achieved yeah. uh, because of the way they went about everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's just so awful to see because, you know, mm. the, there's so much good intention there. The, the, the Thousand Sons had just nothing but the best intention, and it just mm. all went wrong. Magnus reaching out to his father, you know, um, sort mm. of breaking that the gate open on Earth and letting the demons through, and it was the last thing he wanted. And yeah. he was just messing with powers he didn't understand, and. And, you know, before that, even he, he tried a, a gentler measure because he tried to reach Horus first and yeah. convince him not to turn. Mm. And um, and what's so cool, I think, is that you see that moment from Horus's perspective before you see it from Magnus's. Yeah. Um, if you're reading the books chronologically or mm. in, in the order of them being written. So, yeah. like, you see, you know, Horus basically going through that sort of fever dream that Erebus puts him on. And in that moment, you see Magnus reach out to him and Horace is like, how are you doing this? And, you know, Magnus is like, I, I don't have time to explain how I'm doing this, but please don't go down this path. Yeah. And he couldn't stop him. And, and there's just basically every step of Magnus's journey is just so tragic. Um, yeah. And, and, by things and still yeah <laughs> and it's so it's just so sad and and if you know people like that who try to do good things and it ends up going bad i you just you know you you sympathize so much with them and um magnus is just he was like the greatest of his of his brothers and he mm. he just you know he didn't know what he was dealing with and and that's understandable because the emperor again didn't communicate he didn't give him some some much needed basic information about the warp and the demons and not only that but just where the primarchs even came from because mm -hmm. it seems pretty clear that the emperor himself made pacts um yeah. in order to have the primarchs be created and in that sense i think magnus was even more just following in his father's footsteps whether or not he knew it yeah. and so who is not you know who would blame him for what he did? Um, yeah. But that being said, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a very dark um, way of thinking with regards to um, the reason why kind of emperor the emperor um, didn't really uh, shine a light on the warp, uh, to mm -hmm. Max, despite everything. I think mean, I think one of it was obviously the power that he could get, um, and you know, essentially he he could potentially become too powerful. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, he was the greatest psyker bar. Um, you know, I suppose kind of literally up there, he's probably he's more powerful than Malkador, and you know, yeah. almost as powerful as um, the emperor himself, right? Regards to psychic ability, 
but then there's this very darker aspect of it with um obviously the webway um because obviously the emperor wanted um uh to basically do without the warp altogether right it's a very flawed way of doing it because obviously it didn't work out in the end but um <laughs> Um, obviously that that whole webway part of it um was kind of you know powered by the golden throne um right. you know the gate that was locked obviously it serves another purpose now but um back then you know you've got to kind of wonder the you know was the emperor's plan because he didn't see them as sons right was the emperor's plan altogether you know that he wanted um you know he was going to you know, not be in pain, but take it up to, you know, ensure that the Imperium as a, as a, as a whole um, could function with this webway? Or was he basically using Magnus as a potential battery for it? Um, right. Essentially condemning him to a lifetime of sitting on the throne um, because he would be the one person, aside from the Emperor, who would be able to actually sit there and use it. Um, so was he essentially, you know, was his plan going to be to condemn him yeah uh, almost so kind of literally a life a lifetime of servitude sitting on a chair um you know allowing the webway so you know using using his psychic abilities so no one else had to use psychic abilities again right uh, um you know be literally just to be that one guy uh, yeah. so kind of you know because obviously he was looking to kill off disparate um you know groups and psychers you know um you know the the, the astropaths for one um also mm -hmm. um you know the um the navis novelites with the you know the um our oh, word <laughs> mm -hmm. um yeah basically the navigators yeah uh, yeah yeah um you know his, his ultimate dream was for none of those to exist uh and almost kind of you know stop the psychic evolution of man um or bring it back to a point where it could be controllable enough so it just wouldn't have to be a thing right uh, so um yeah like i say it's just an evil twist on on the story that kind of you know i mean the emperor was yeah he's this he's this godlike kind of you know being and everything but you know he definitely made some very evil choices and you've got to wonder obviously with this darkness kind of you know was he really that much of a good guy right uh, knowing that chances are, you know, one of his most favoured sons, at least before Cancer Nick here and how things turned out, um, it, it, it essentially he was probably just going to, you know, like I say, use him as a battery. <laughs> yeah, no, he was. As far as it, we can tell, it seems like that was his plan. And mm -hmm. that's incredibly dark. I mean, the, the Emperor acts so inhuman. And I think what makes it's just it just stacks on to the tragedy of magnus and his story is mm -hmm. that he loved his father so profoundly um or what he called his father and the mm -hmm. emperor literally just saw him as a battery like he yeah. was just waiting for him to fulfill his purpose of sitting on a throne for the rest of the time yeah and that's insane i mean that's that's so awful but mm -hmm. you know he saw the primarx's tools he looked at everything and he just looked at what can they be used for? What's the function of this of this thing? Mm. And I think that is one of the least human ways you could you could be. It's it's extremely sociopathic. Yeah. Um, and and the emperor I think demonstrates sociopath or sociopathy. I guess you pronounce it um, as 
as frequently as can be. I mean, everything he did seemed fully sociopathic, which is so interesting because I feel like the there he's often described by in the books as like the Primarchs sort of he sounds like uh the the most comforting sort of fatherly voice when mm. he speaks it's like this <laughs> those moments as well um, yeah the people he speaks to kind of like more uh, more kind of your, your average human your average human yeah those times where he speaks to them it's just like there's definitely this nurturing fatherly um you know beneficent kind of you know character that he has yeah. um but for his, but for essentially his, um, for quote unquote sons or you know the people he goes around to actually bring these things around, it's like it's, it's, it's just incredible callousness. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it, it's insane. It's um, I mean, yes, he the emperor is. I, I think kind of ultimately he's like he's for humanity. He's there to save humanity, but it is for humanity, not for. Right. Yeah, there's there's definitely no favorites there. <laughs> no, no, and I feel like there's this implication that any being that he created for the purpose of his, you know, his whatever his intentions were, um, he treated as non-human. Like you know, all of these uh, genetically modified beings, like the Astartes and the Primarchs and everything, mm. he treated them exclusively as tools but when it came to just natural human beings he was he was pro-humans but mm. it was like anything that he created to further that goal was literally just a tool to him yeah. um and i think when you listen to a lot of the primarchs and the way they think about him uh especially the traitor primarchs it often seems like they come to realize the way that he spoke to them um mm. over time like once once they begin turning once the doubt is in their brains they sort of remember him differently um yeah. and it's maybe his absence from the campaign from the crusade that allows them to have imperfect memories of him um because he's it, not present it, you know yeah, yeah, there could be that kind of element of because obviously he's got this aura about him that just you know um, whenever he speaks it could you know it's, um, there's this commanding kind of you know thing that even the primarchs kind of struggle to rebel against. Right. So you do kind of wonder um, if there was some kind of overarch. Obviously, he could be everywhere at once, but um, you kind of wonder if there is this overarching kind of control that was lost. Um, yeah. But a lot of it was down to obviously, you know, I think kind of, again, maybe there's just this distancing with being, um, you know, for being so long lived. Yeah. Uh, the kind of, you know, while he technically was maybe human kind of once upon a time, <laughs> you know, he's uh, just by having to be for mankind, he lost all humanity in the process um, to the extent where, yeah, I mean, just so many little things where it's just like he didn't even have to really change the way he was about his tools right. uh, slash sons slash cousins whatever. <laughs> uh, but at the same time you kind of think well you know if you had a bit more humanity about him yeah. without kind of letting the cow out of the bag even just a little bit of explanation here and there just kind of a you know trust me on this kind of thing kind of you know right 
even kind of simple camaraderie rather than just like do this don't ask questions yeah <laughs> or instead do of being it. a machine about it basically yeah do, do as i say not do as i do kind of thing. yeah just, um, um yeah you kind of wonder just how how differently things could have gone yeah mm. um and i i just you know it just adds to the tragedy not only of magnus but i think of all the primarchs because Mm. They started from such a place of love and adoration. And I think so much of the heresy comes from the emperor's inability to just be kind to them mm. um, and show them like general compassion. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's his own it's his own downfall. I mean, as much as Magnus displayed hubris, I think Magnus often feels like the emperor himself in that he meddled in things above his pay grade essentially yeah. and he didn't he didn't bother to uh to keep himself in check uh, yeah. he just went for it always and didn't think yeah. about the consequences yeah i mean even um, that's the bit where he made the bargain uh, which obviously he didn't know it was zinge at the time uh, right kind of exchange his eyes to save his legion but you know basically he was you know yeah it was just his hubris that kind of you know that was inherent with him so yep. he was just um you know he was uh writing checks his ass couldn't carry <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and he couldn't and you know he was he was uh once the space wolves did come to prospero and the custodies and the sisters of silence he didn't fight for almost the entire battle he yeah, he resigned was, himself. He knew he did wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 it just adds to that noble spirit. He just knows that you know everything he did was for the right reasons, mm -hmm. and it didn't go correctly. And he realized the damage he did, and then he was like, "It is just that we're mm -hmm. being destroyed now." Yeah. Um, for the damage we've done, it, it, it it's fair, and there's such nobility in accepting that fate too. I mean who who could have accepted that you know what other primarch would have accepted such a fate um yeah. but uh he he's always sort of proving himself to be greater i think in in many ways um mm. but you know obviously it's it's super problematic because he's also extremely self-confident to an enormous fault mm. but um yeah. So anyway, that's Magnus. I I yeah. love Magnus. I love the Thousand Sons. Um, they're, they're, yeah, they are amazing, they are an amazing uh, chapter. Legion. Yes. Uh, and it is. It's kind of one of those. As I've, I've I've got a I've got a big soft spot for them just because of the stories. And yeah. like you, know, you read, um, you know, any any book on Aram, and, and it's just you know, there's these amazing stories. Yeah, uh, he's an amazing dude. Yeah, yeah. and you've you, you've got some nuggets to come later on. Um, again, I, I I can't spoil all these awesome <laughs> you keep you're going to be reading because there's uh there's some great tales about them. And, yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh yeah, there's some good reads ahead for you. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward, looking forward to, to it. it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, going on from those, I mean, I suppose, I think, I think we probably know what the other's worst uh, trade legions are. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I think we can probably guess at them. Uh, yeah. So, so, I don't know. Am I right in assuming, and it might be controversial to some, but, you know, second to last would be the um, Iron Warriors? <laughs> yeah. I. The Iron Warriors are actually a group that has something about them has appealed to me 
not enough for me to dig into them. So I think, yes, that out of um, a lack of maybe compassion for their whole thing, Mm. I, you know, I, I don't maybe feel like they're as compelling because I feel like they're perturabo just seems like a bit of a dick um yeah. i mean and he's he's kind of awesome but um yeah no he is yeah it, 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 it's, it's kind of um it's 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 like it with um other chapters sorry legions uh and chapters and space rings on the on the you know on the good side as it were yeah um, whereby you know one cool character does not really uh you know an engaging legion make <laughs> yes um, and you know, while Perseroga has some very, very cool bits about him, mm-hmm. um, the rest of them are kind of a bit meh. Yeah. Um, except for probably um, there's that one guy, and again, another book you have you've yet to read called Pharos, um, mm-hmm. which is, uh, goes to the Appearance of Cundus um, bit in the Horus Heresy, um, where there is this one um, Iron Warrior um who's just awesome and basically he's fight he's, he's on the good side yeah in and for the rest of the legion um and um yeah he's he's, he's an awesome character mm-hmm. again it's you know it's he, he has a very short story arc and you know you're just basically left with perturabo and a kind of very soulless legion yeah uh, that are kind of again kind of you know it's you, you do as perturabo says or you know it's not going to end well for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Even when, uh, even before the heresy really kicked in. Um, but yeah, he is kind of tragic in a way, but not in the same, not to the same degree or um, way that kind of say, for example, Fulgrim or, um, you know, Magnus has. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I suppose which leads us to, you know, the worst Legion. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ever. Because fuck those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously yeah. we're talking about the word bearers. <laughs> obviously we're talking about the word bearers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just hate them. Holy yeah. crap. They're just the worst. Yeah. Um, I mean, Erebus is single-handedly responsible for so much horrible stuff. Such and a, such a snake. He's such a snake. I mean, he's like, you know, there's always, it seems like so many stories have the one sort of um, fanatical religious person whose intentions are all but pure. Um, yeah. And then there's Erebus, which is like, his intention is nothing but evil. He's, yeah. he's literally like Joffrey from Game of Thrones, dialed up to 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he really is. He's, he's the most sadistic uh whispering in so many ears all the wrong things like yeah. i just despise him he's the but worst he, he goes about it it's not it's, it's just such a weasel about kind of everything <laughs> yeah done. it's just like uh, yeah um yeah. yeah um again there's this one little bit that um yeah he, he does get his kind of comeuppance a bit later on um yeah um it's uh it's 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 a great little piece despite the fact he still lives um <laughs> afterwards but you know um yeah there's this one area one little thing that happens uh in a fighting pit and um kind of he, he gets his <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Kind of, at last <laughs> <laughs> he really does i mean 
there's no fate bad enough for that guy like he's just oh god i hate him yeah um and you know even kind of like if he was um his damnation was being put through a wood chipper it still wouldn't quite feel enough (laughs) right exactly (laughs) you'd be like "Uh, couldn't you have done worse i mean geez yeah um yeah uh (laughs) so like it, it I feel like I hate Erebus so much that I actually hate Lorgar more by extension, like forever, ever listening to him. Um, yeah, it just it just drives me crazy. Like I, 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 the whole thing with the word bearers. I mean, I think they make for a great like villain, um, mm. in the sense that like you really love to hate them. There, there's like yeah. nothing redeeming in my opinion about them. I mean, there there is a tragedy there because I think, like, mm. Lorgard does get pretty thoroughly abused when he gets his nose rubbed in it after he really is just trying to demonstrate his love of his, you know, father. Yeah. Um, with the, you know, his tributes and deifying him and everything. But then uh, the Emperor treats him again with sociopathic levels of callousness <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, all this you built let's burn it down (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 um it's just publicly humiliating it's crazy and it's so it's so intense it's such an intense reaction Mm. um to what he thought was an act of love and i think there is tragedy in that for sure um but i think that his predisposition to needing um faith is already just such an uh, it's an unappealing thing to me um so like i think that he is he just feels weak from the start like um, i mean there is definitely this um ultimate naivety with norgar yeah just like i mean yes uh, he was kind of brought up by corferon and erebus and you know they kind of it was very you know a very religious planet mm-hmm. um, but again you've got to got to wonder with the emperors just like knowing this anyway did he not kind of think you know all of this just no just straight from the off <laughs> just no yeah. but yeah. he kind of um and then had to publicly humiliate him but again you know they could have been done so much better by just almost again well i suppose with law guy you would have to literally bring him in to um you know to completely know about everything in order to stop it uh, right. but so kind of you know obviously that was against everything really because mm-hmm. uh there's this ultimate lie there um so you kind of wonder how the emperor could have got around it any other way but yeah i'm yeah kind of um literally uh, I don't know. It's you can kind of see it from both points to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the emperor kind of really did not do it in a very good way and should have nipped that blood from the off. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, how how he could not expect anyone to kind of you know harbor <laughs> some kind of resentment there. Yeah. Uh, and not see it kind of maybe you know kicking him back in the teeth. Yeah. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Um, um. And it, it just demonstrates naivete, I would say, on the Emperor's part, which, you know, so often when you look at the flaws of the Primarchs, it seems like they're, it, it mirrors in some way something that, the, a way in which the Emperor has, has acted. Mm. Um, and in Lorgar's case, yeah, I think that naivete. Um, mm. and, and the idea, too, with Lorgar of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, because 
he needed there to be faith in something and um and in that regard he made it happen like <laughs> whether or not he yeah. meant for it to be the chaos gods or something evil um, he just needed something to worship and and in that sense you know he always was looking for meaning where maybe there there was none or just demanded that there be meaning um and when you look at the machinations of you know the gods of of chaos there is intention there and it's it's i mean i guess you could say it's divine Mm. um i would say you know it's nefarious but it's it's divine in that it's bigger than us so yeah. He saw that and and immediately just attached to it because that's his nature. It's how he was brought up. And I think the real tragedy is just that he was stuck on a planet like that. Um, and but you can't it, wonder as well with um, religion and what it is. It's, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, obviously we live in a day and age now that, I mean, back in the real world, that it's like, um, you know, not many people have it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, um, to any kind of like burning degree, uh, yes. Um, you know, yeah, it's a thing, but you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of you know, atheism, there's a lot of atheism, agnosticism, yeah. there's exactly. a lot of um, very casual religion too, which is like definitely sort of a new thing, I would say, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not like back in the day where it's fire and brimstone, yeah, uh, exactly. but you know, um, at the same time, it's um you know um just just the nature of uh religion uh yeah. and worship and you know spirituality it kind of um a lot of it is a safety net isn't it for kind of you know your mortality yeah uh, there's the other part of it which is kind of you know um it fills this hole in you um, right you know which is kind of you know really kind of what this crux is and you kind of got to wonder how much you know again like you know there's naivety but there's this kind of you know run to the letter thing but with Lorgar it's just like how much of a how much of a gap in his um in his kind of you know core must yeah. he add to kind of you know need to fill it to, exactly. to, to such a you know such a degree where he's so um you know zealous um in kind of you know just you know dancing from from belief to belief basically in order to kind of really just kind of cling on to to give him that you know cuddly blanket that you can just you know crawl into <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, you, know. you know religion means different things for different people but i think it is often like you said it's it's a safety net it's a it's a way for people to not have to worry about their existential you know purpose they there's basically an, an entire codified system that tells you exactly what your purpose is and and tells you how to live your life in order to fulfill that purpose and um and regardless of uh what people think about religion in general or like different religions um there's no doubt that that probably holds appeal to people who have a deep cosmic dread and need something to just sort of get through life um so i think it's a way of not confronting the realities of one's existence. And I think Lorgar was raised in a system that did that. So um, in that sense, I think it makes him so, like you said, the, the naivete is just on full display because he needs something to fill that hole. 
Um, if, if it's not there, he, he's not complete. He probably would lose his mind. Um, and he could have ultimately become a very dark person anyway, um, without some sort of faith because it was what he needed either that, or he could have gone through a period of growth and learned how to function without it and become a better person. Mm. Um, but we, we just can't know. And, um, people fight so hard against it. With all his reading and his books and his religion, he couldn't have read too much, though, because let's face it, I mean, with regards to any religion, at the crux of it, the lesson is don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, and he, that, that <laughs> he definitely ignored that tenet. Yeah. And it, I think maybe when religion gets more zealous, those that sort of behavior comes out more. Um, and, uh, you know, that for sure there are people who abuse religious systems for the purposes of violence and conquest and personal gain and everything so i think um there are probably teachings there that he didn't understand uh fully and he just dove into it anyway and i think yeah you're right i mean most religions have a basic tenet of uh don't be a dick um be good to your fellow humans and like try to prosper together and I think uh, he just didn't, he didn't read that bit. <laughs> it would seem. Yeah. Um, it's kind of one of those things. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Norgar by extension, like I say, you kind of want to hate him more because he just shows so much, such weakness. Yeah. But um, at the same time, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's kind of, it, it really troubles me a bit because it's just like, I don't want to feel this way. But like other, other times, I, there's little bits about him. Yeah where you just go actually he's just really really awesome um, yeah yeah there's this um there's this book aurelian where he goes on a pilgrimage after um the, the where he gets kicked into touch by the emperor and Gil gilliman yeah. um where you know he goes to the warp and you know he basically finds his new uh you know religion and you know obviously it's a darker one uh, that he just embraces but um it's an epic story um and um later on as well um like during the horus heresy itself he still shows sign of um wanting to help his brothers mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that you know it's kind of you know he's he's very much an evil person at this point but yeah. still it's kind of you know it's a kind of almost brothers in arms still regardless of the side he's fighting for because yeah. um, he just believe again because of his belief um but um there's this bit later on where he him and um angron mm -hmm. uh, basically fighting together in the shadow i think not the shadow crusade i think um yeah it is shadow crusade mm -hmm. uh, and um he does he does a lot of things in that book kind of you know for angron and you're just thinking actually he's a bit of a dude for that <laughs> yeah 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 uh, despite the fact that it kind of you know you kind of think there's these two there's these two primarchs that really don't get along or shouldn't get along. They kind of, they kind of, it's, it's kind of this kind of almost like buddy road trip thing they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, obviously in a very dark and dystopian way. But um, but yeah, no, it's um, there's a couple of things he does there, and you just kind of think, actually, you know, yeah, you did. For the, obviously, you know, while it's evil, you did good. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's just, yeah, there's, there's just not enough really in that chapter to ever redeem. Yeah. 
kind of anything really um yeah yeah i suppose the, the only other character you can probably kind of get behind um well at least for me anyway was um argle tau mm -hmm. uh, who became the first possessed um space marine and um, okay. it's his story is, is is pretty pretty amazing as well mm -hmm. um, just the obviously he becomes part of demon and you know he is possessed so yeah. there is all there um but at the same time there's just again there's a tragedy um that you kind of really feel for the guy um and again like you know because you started off with this saying you're about to get into reading the first heretic mm -hmm. i'm not going to spoil that because you're literally about to find it out <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> um yeah but i mean you know there are some moments of of greatness in him for sure uh, uh you often see that he's a great mediator um for his other brothers and and the way that you know gilliman is a bit of a statesman i think that lorgar has a great dignity about the way that he carries himself a lot of the time and he does make for a good mediator because i think he has a very level head when a lot of them might get hot-headed um yeah. you know he acted as a mediator between magnus and uh Fent and uh lehman russ uh yeah in a thousand sons at a certain point he he promoted the idea that brothers should not ever be fighting yeah. um and i think that that's a really powerful message and i think he's mm. right in that regard he's not often right but i think you know he has moments of great of great um uh what's the word uh, diplomacy um among mm. his among his brothers yeah. and while he eventually loses that i think there there is i think you know great value and dignity in, in him being like that mm -hmm. um and i i think another thing too is uh i think i read something about during the istvan uh ambush mm -hmm. he was basically uh corvus corax confronts him and it seems like almost kills him yeah. Um, like comes very close to killing him. And this isn't a situation when Corvus is already on the back foot, the Raven Guard is surrounded. Mm. Um, and out of rage, Corvus attacks Lorgar basically on their as part of a retreat and seems to just shred him to pieces. Yeah. Um and uh he's saved at the last minute by another Primarch. Um yeah. literally only just survives by the skin of his teeth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that makes me wonder because you know it adds sort of to my thought my initial reading that was thinking oh you know how weak is lorgar that you know he's mentally so weak because he needs this crutch of faith and then physically he can't stand mm -hmm. up to another primarch in a fight yeah. um but at the same time you know because of having read lorgar's skills at diplomacy and his love for his brothers i thought maybe Am I reading that incorrectly? And is he maybe just he doesn't have the will to attack a brother? Um, no, I think he, he definitely does. Um, yeah. Okay. But, um, but um, there's definitely um, he he doesn't have the might. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have the build. He is like physically speaking, he is the runs of the litter. He, yeah. He, while he's obviously still you know a demigod and you know superhuman powers it's just right. like it's it's not even in the same league as pretty much all the other primarchs yeah um so yeah it kind of is yeah for want of a better phrase he is the runs the litter in that respect uh, yeah. 
and you know so he kind of uses his wiles instead um which kind of works i mean when i mean again as much as we hate the word bearers and hate lorgar and hate erebus and all the rest <laughs> of it in there, there is this kind of you know while he did it under you know worship and religion and you know zeal um he you know when he was going about the great crusade he was doing it you know a lot more subtly than you know you know basically fighting all the time you know he yeah. managed to sway worlds um to the imperial truth and the imperium of man um more so than any other legion without actually having to resort to battle yeah and by you know, building, you know, again, unfortunately, with too much churches and religious kind of nature being there, he did build good, you know, stable worlds where, you know, they, you know, stuck to the emperors like, you know, after after the word bearers left. Yeah. Um, you know, just, and you know, almost kind of, you know, made for, you know, seeing that humanity could be a better thing. Right. Uh, so again, there was kind of this, you know, naivety there, um, but kind of also, again, from a good place, at least initially. Yeah. And kind of got, you know, bitch slapped. Yeah. And, you know, um, quite royally. <laughs> you definitely did. Yeah. But yeah. that that demonstrates incredible strength to be able to sway a place without without ever, you know, spilling blood. I mm. think there there is an incredible strength in that and um an incredible skill at diplomacy and i think um that shouldn't be it shouldn't be undersold i think you know that really is an impressive ability and i think that not a lot of primarchs for how great they are how i would say even demonstration of majesty even among the the most savage of them oftentimes they can lack that ability um some of them are very quick to jump to to fighting and to winning through martial skill Mm. um and you get you know the the whole horace heresy novel series opens with um horace rising and you get the you know i think it's a great great way that they did it um with the story focusing on uh, loken because he's he's willing to be open-minded he's willing to question things and um he's very level-headed um and then when you see them on this planet that thinks that they're worshiping their own emperor um that they arrive on and horus just destroys that guy like without a moment's pause like he doesn't let him get a word in um and you know logan listens to him um he at least hears what he has to say before he does anything but um but horace just isn't hearing it and he jumps to just killing him and i think that um i think horace is great he was clearly a great leader of men and everything but um that that jump to violence i think is something that maybe lorgar is is almost better than in a certain way um so if there's one thing that can be said about him i think that it's that it's that he actually he values the power of of the word and he values Mm. you know he's he's a great demonstration of the pen having the ability to be mightier than the sword um so yeah i'll begrudgingly give (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm even giving it to him begrudgingly uh, you know i don't like lorgar but i i do think that 
there is a great skill in that. And I think, you know, in a sense, he uses that to great evil, which is part of why I hate him so much. Yeah. Um, but it can be used for such good. And he starts off um, doing it for good reasons and not killing people that don't need to die. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Lehman Russ probably wouldn't bat an eyelash at that. He would just, he would have just killed. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's value there. I think <laughs> even though he ended up using that for maybe the most insidious of all the Primarchs eventually, um, he definitely started out by using it as a way to avoid unnecessary loss. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, that, I mean, that's how I feel about him anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what a dick. <laughs> yeah. What, I mean, long story short, what a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Just gross. Um, cool. No, we can all agree on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's what I think about them. Um, well, I think I kind of like, yeah, uh, I think I've covered like pretty much most of uh, generals. So, I mean, without going too far into it, but um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's a good little round. Um, yeah, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. Oh, so many other little bits and people. Know, like, just like this, the, the problem is with the trade legions, they've all got such cool aspects. Yeah, and I'm not going to get onto Emperor's Children because obviously got a soft spot for Slanesh, so it's mm-hmm. like. Yeah, um, but you know, Fulgrim's the best, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, <laughs> name me any other, any other Primarch that's killed two. I mean, granted, one oh came my back, God. Elder Sorcery, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> not only that, I mean, he also killed an avatar, uh, in single combat, um, you know, like in the in the Fulgrim book, like he he essentially single handedly fought Eldred Altrin's entire, like bodyguard and he mm-hmm. killed a wraith lord he killed then killed an avatar yep. granted he had a demon sword helping him but still i mean he's incredible but at that point it wasn't the it's kind of one of those a lot of people just go oh, i was a sword i mean the sword was corrupting him yeah uh, mm, uh but it wasn't it wasn't like he was just sticking his arm out and the sword was doing all the work <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's strength in arms did that quite quite a lot. Um, just a skill, that kind of you know, um, obviously fencing or you know, just you know, just swordsmanship was just like um, you know, beyond compare with any oh, other. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. He was, he was cool. an unparalleled fighter for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, almost almost you know took two heads. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Incredible. Uh, yeah. So. Um, but anyway, no, I, I, I'm not going to get into that because that's a that, that's a big argument. <laughs> <Who's> <laughs> I, I I will say, I mean, yeah, the question of who's the best, you could talk about that until you're blue in the face. But I think, I I do think that there's like irrefutable evidence that Fulgrim is at least one of the best combatants. Um, there's no doubt about the fact that his yeah. His results speak for themselves. He's yeah. an incredible fighter and definitely better than other Primarchs. Yeah. But yeah. When, as to whether he's best in any other respect, yeah, it's, it's, it's rumor for much debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's part of the Emperor's children's way, though, really, to seek perfection. Clearly, he mm-hmm. sought perfection in a certain number of things. And, you know, one of them definitely was skill at arms. 
yeah. um, which he demonstrated. And you see it in, you know, Lucius as well mm. um, yeah. in the heresy novels. So Yeah, the Palatine, the Palatine Blades, blades sorry, even get the words yeah. out right. Um, yeah, that, I mean, there's definitely a whole, it was definitely a swordsmanship and a, um, an honor there, you know, with, um, with, with that way of fighting. Yeah. Uh, which, and again, this nice wish list, if they ever do release the Emperor's Children as a standalone Dex, mm -hmm. really hope they do, because I'd love to see Fulgrim as a demon Primarch. On, oh my on, God, on I know. Um, but yeah, no, um, I, I hope that if they do do a do an empress children codex that they they bring that aspect to it um back in essentially so it's not just all about um uh noise marines which you know right. are iconic for their own right but it's sure, uh, yeah the, at, at the same time it would just be so cool to see them um you know just 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 these uh swordsmen uh par excellence just basically just moving down the field and just tearing it into anyone and kind of you know very very kind of like honored and you know crazy combat <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um there's definitely more more character that can i think can be pulled out of basically every uh chaos faction that doesn't have a codex yeah um as far as like you know uh expanding their tabletop uh variety mm. um, yeah i completely agree uh, yeah you know, even 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 down to the Iron Warriors, it's like you know, yeah, there's some nice strats and there's some good things in there, but um, you know, yeah, there's there's a lot of the flavor that's essentially missing that they could that they could put in if they've got their own mini decks, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, with regards to the Trace Legion, is there any other like characters or anything that kind of you know stand out to you that maybe you kind of like haven't discussed? Yeah, uh, I feel like there's wow, who have we talked about. I think there's um, one person that intrigues me greatly. I don't know how I feel about them because I actually have trouble understanding the motivations. Um, but it's Alpharius. Um, mm. I guess I should say two people because oh, <laughs> Omegon. <laughs> yeah, Omegon too. Um, but yeah, I I. First of all, I don't really know where Omegon comes from. I don't know how he was made. I don't know um, wh who he is. I know that he, he is like an actual being because you mm -hmm. see Alpharius and Omegon next to each other and they're both like Primarch stature. Yeah. Um, but I don't know who he is or where he came from. And Alpharius isn't about to tell me. Um, <laughs> so uh, I... I'm just very interested in his whole thing. Um, you know, the way he was sort of pushed to do what he did out of here being told that it would save the universe or the galaxy. Um, yeah. you know, his sort of con contributing to the heresy, um, I, in this ironic way that would lead to the chaos, not winning. Mm. Um, is a really interesting uh, way to go about that. And I, I feel like, you know, at this point, is he maybe lost in the plot? Does he not know, mm. like, that he's turned? Does, you know, because the Alpha Legion, they, they count as chaos on the table. Yeah. Um, and so often they're seen supporting chaos, even though maybe their motivations haven't been consistent. Mm. Um, and it's like if they're 
playing the long game to sort of beat chaos, it's been a very long game. Um, you know, it's been 10,000 years in the making and there's no sign that they're about to just end it. So, yeah, yeah they've tied themselves so far up in knots. They like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's kind of one of those. I mean, it's, it's, it's I think it's, it's, it's just part of the secretive nature of them that kind of like even before they got bought in and kind of given their legions, there was a, there was a secrecy and a duplicity and, you know, um, that was just inherently there. From yeah. the start. Um, and even kind of, um, you know, back in the heresy before it kind of really started, um, when, you know, events unfold, you realise that they've had like sleeper agents and literally people in stasis from the get-go um, to kind of cover all sorts of, you know, potential missions and outcomes yeah. uh, um, to kind of like further what, whatever ends that, you know, no one really knows. Um, you know, is it for good? Is it for bad? Is it for neither? Um, you know, is it to strengthen the Imperium um, by giving it um, conflict? Is it to, uh, <laughs> you know, is it is it literally that they are just evil and it's all dance chaos? Um, it's it's very it's it's just the elusive nature about them. I think it's just what makes um, Altharius and, and the Alpha Legion in general just just so incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm so intrigued and I'm so into it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm just like the the thing is that i just do not know like where he actually stands um on on anything uh, you know i i don't know so much time has passed since his mm. sort of induction into the cabal or at least his being swayed by them yeah. and i just don't know what he's thinking any i i mean i never knew what he was thinking but it seemed at least that you know, we could gather from what the cabal said to him and then what he did that he was at least swayed in part to act on what they said. Mm. And now it's just been so much time and it seems like they're not getting anywhere. So mm. um, there's just this huge question of like, what are his motivations now? And it, could he even is it even possible that he's still going down that path and, and his mission really is to strengthen the imperium or to defeat chaos and yeah. i feel like there's just no answer um which is yeah because i mean they, they went down the horus heresy on the strength that it would save mankind um yeah. so they were kind of fed and you know they kind of you know bought it up like a sinker and yeah but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, like I say, it's 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 the great unsolvable mystery. I think, yeah. which is what's so appealing with them. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, um, and obviously there, there is also the outward fact is kind of like you know, is it the case of either of them are actually still living? Yeah, because uh, um, obviously it's you know it's fairly well documented that Omegan got you know exed out um, by um, Rogel Dawn. Mm -hmm. um but then again kind of you know there's also the thing that alfarius may have been killed by uh gilliman uh, okay. yeah. but again it's one of those things was it alfarius was it <laughs> was it right. 
it's kind of like you know they they were they, they were smaller uh obviously there was a thing where they would you know even to the um most trained of eyes they'd be pretty much almost not recognizable compared to um other other astartes right. um or you know lookalikes or doppelgangers that they kind of you know engineered or something so you you've got to wonder is it them is it not yeah, um, yeah. is it all part of this kind of crazy twisted convoluted plan <laughs> um but um yeah again it's it, i think it makes a great debate on you know what the um what what the uh their intentions are uh and um it, you know that extends even to the 40k novels um yeah. where they are disparate war bands and you know some of the things that happen and you got you, they're they kind of undecided maybe on you know which side they are because you know some of the some of their own squads have even got kind of you know certain embedded mission protocols that kind of get unlocked at certain points or whatever and you know all of a sudden you know their <laughs> their whole mo completely changes yeah um, you know, to fulfill this crazy mission or something that kind of, you know, is it even relevant anymore? Yeah. Uh, but they kind of have to do it. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's cool. I was going to say, I suppose the only other character as well that I probably haven't, we haven't really touched on, but I just find really great, for, uh, you know, his, the stories he has been in is uh, Fabius Bile. Oh, yeah. Fabius is awesome. Yeah. Fabius is literally fab um yeah um such a cool character and yeah. in, you know, i can't recommend primogenitor in the clone lord books enough um, yeah such great reads and again it kind of it's a nice little insight into what we touched on earlier about the emperor's children and kind of it'd be nice to see different aspects of them because mm -hmm. this um pursuits perfection and obviously he's a bit of an outcast in his own you know right yeah. but um yeah there's this there's this whole uh just, just just the story arc is incredible and again it kind of links into um other characters like uh Traz and the infinite um mm -hmm. makes an appearance and um yeah it's just and also some harlequins as well there's yeah. it's very very rich um and diverse story um that just yeah it's incredible reads yeah um, yeah. such a cool character and again like you know ultimately evil because all he got carte blanche to experiment but again that was based on uh the the, the flaw essentially uh the corruption that was in the gene seed um you know before even the great crusade that he had yeah. to basically save the legion um <laughs> and so much seems to come from that idea too not just you know for his legion but for like the Raven Guard too. Like there's mm. a lot of um, attempts at salvation that lead to these horrific sort of like Doctor Moreau style, you know, yeah. horror shows. Um, mm. So I, I always thought that's such an interesting, you know, there's a there's a deep history of uh, sort of eugenics and manipulation of that in 40k lore mm. um, going way back before even the beginning of the the imperium um with the techno barbarians and everything it seems like humanity must have reached some point at which they were like really really going as far as they could into the idea of genetic manipulation um and there and that's a dark path um, yeah it can lead to really weird stuff so yeah um and 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 Bile was given pretty much carte blanche to, right. 
like initially because of um you know obviously saving the legion but later on because of almost like for what he did um and then also you know just to just for the betterment and that kind of downward spirals from corruption and yeah um but yeah makes for makes some great reads yeah <laughs> yeah because his development seemed to be going along the same path as the rest of the legion as it was experimenting with you know the idea of excess and the idea of perfection and yeah. we see um <clears throat> you know we see bile and uh eidolon sort of at the same time they're they're going down this path you see for all the ways eidolon seems like really set in his ways and really stubborn and recalcitrant he's also allowing himself to be modified in really bizarre ways yeah um which i think Just pride and arrogance could being the best that um you know he wants to keep and maintain so yeah cost uh so yeah he's this willing guinea pig <laughs> yeah exactly so i think they're they're a really interesting duo um for mm -hmm. sure and um eidolon man that's another guy that i really like to hate too <laughs> um, yeah yeah, yeah, no, true. I mean, out of, uh, yeah, he's, he is one of those. It's like, in many ways, it's kind of like, yeah, it's just this towering arrogance that he has. Yeah. Uh, and the way he goes about things, very preening. But um, and again, it's uh, later stories. It's like a, between Bile and um, Eidolon. Um, mm. It's just, yeah, there's a, there's a definite kind of relationship there where they hate each other um, yeah. and what well, they stand for. But, you know, they seem to you know regularly help each other out <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, at least at least to begin with um but yeah it's a you know very poisonous relationship yeah yeah it's mm. and i think that makes it really like a delicious sort of relationship as far as like being a reader um because yeah. that makes for such an interesting you know interaction between them all the time i really like that uh relationships like that and i feel like many legions have that where there's like sort of two characters who uh sort of symbiotically lean upon each other but also mm. maybe actively despise each other um yeah and it makes for great reading for sure i like i also like the fact that kind of in the 40k universe with his books um and law that just generally um you know it's like all the heretic legions kind of like you know if they're you know were apothecaries like they kind of seek him out uh um, yeah of like for study um you know and if they're gifted enough then kind of you know they're allowed tutelage and kind of you know um given you know free reign as it were to kind of like yeah. you know just learn um and kind of also help each other out there's this kind of you know uh crazy kind of band of uh you know mad doctors inside yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> uh having these symposiums in the walk <laughs> <laughs> which is great it's, it's yeah. just like so it's it's like funny but it's also awesome i love that yeah. Mm. Um, yeah and i think there's a lot about the forces of chaos that can be sort of funny because they feel there are times you know where the legions especially at this point can feel very like mustachio twirling uh you know bad guys but at the yeah. same time there's a real depth of character to them a lot of the time too so i think um they sort of at turns they're both very entertaining and fun and at other turns you know, very dark and very you know human and 
and they're expressing something that we can all sort of get behind and that has great value is from a storytelling perspective too. So yeah, that's yeah. part of what's just so fun about chaos. Yeah, this is very true. It's, <laughs> uh, it, it is. It's like bad guys have more fun. I think yeah. Fun. It's just, uh, there's so much more scope and range there. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And maybe that's why, you know, Warhammer 40,000 is so appealing in general is because even the good guys tend to be bad guys in, in a certain light. Um, yeah. so often anyway, there's very few like pure good, uh, elements in, in the world. And I think that makes basically all the factions have some level of interest. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think that's, you know, that's what sets it apart, I think, from a lot of other things, too. Um, yeah. It's fantasy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A lot of other fantasy universes, a lot of other sci-fi universes, there are elements you're supposed to just understand are good and uh, sort of be on the side of or follow as protagonists. But mm. in uh, 40K, that is not really the case. Yeah. Um, it's all the so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we've covered pretty much every legion um yeah new... well i've done well not really the iron warriors but i don't there's, there's nothing much discussed there really um, yeah we've at least talked about them yeah i think the other ones we've kind of like yeah we pretty much touched on yeah it's quite it's, it's, it's quite an epic amount of stuff to go through because uh yeah. unlike 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 the uh you know the, the loyal legions uh yeah. where it's kind of like his distinct favorites uh yes yeah. Yeah, yeah i think we can both agree on this one that kind of you know there are too many favorites when it comes to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure, for sure, for sure. Mm. um yeah so Anyway, that was a great talk. Uh, man, I love talking about these guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just so fun. I could go on forever. But yeah. I won't make all of you sit through that. Um, <laughs> we can do that on our own it's time. time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, this time. Uh, so, anyway, thanks so much uh, for joining me again, Noel. This was, this was awesome. Again, always a pleasure. Always. Yeah. So, um, so good for you. Yeah, yeah, it's just so so much fun, and I I hope that all of you enjoyed that uh, so, uh, close to as much as we did because we had I had a blast. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, if you guys have any things you'd like to hear on upcoming episodes, uh, Noel and I are basically trying to set up sort of a uh, a long game of uh, you know all the topics we could discuss for future episodes, and there's no end to the things we could discuss. So. Yeah. If there's something that you guys would like to get specifically in on the podcast that, that we could discuss, um, let us know, please, on the Discord. Um, yeah, just reach out to us. Mm. Yeah, this, 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 it'd be nice to keep this fluff of the fluff god thing going. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, I could have a blast doing this. And um, yeah, just yeah, so many things to discuss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Pull in all the ideas. All yes. Right, whatever you yeah. can think of give us a deep deep reservoir to to pull from um and there will be no end to the things we talk about um and i just can't wait to do another one i mean it's so fun i think um one that we might do in the future is uh necrons we want to do a little bit of homework but um there, yeah. there's definitely some stuff there that we feel like we both haven't maybe discussed it at depth and that's always i think the most fun is when yeah. we're sort of talking about something that that neither of us know too well and uh we want to explore some of the aspects of something that, that we're unfamiliar with yeah um, this is true. 
Because, I mean, um, I know a bit about Trazin, but, it's, uh, you know, the others are a bit elusive as far as characters. So yeah. So, uh, yeah, do a bit of a deep dive into that. Yeah, I'd be I'd be very interested because I, I have a very shallow sort of understanding of the Necrons because uh, the last time I really dug into them was third edition and they were a much simpler uh, thing back then. Yeah. Um, they were so steeped in mystery that they didn't have a lot of character detail yet. So um, I'm a bit behind and I, I want to catch up and see where they're at now. And uh, I think that could be a really fun one to explore for sure. Um, yeah, we should do but, that one. Yeah, but that's just one among, you know, an endless amount of topics we could discuss. So please let us know if there's anything in particular you would like to hear about, and we would love to discuss it. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, thanks again for joining me, Noel, and thank uh, all of you so much for listening in. And uh, until next time. Stay awesome. Time, <laughs> stay awesome. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>